The Epistle to the Romans, as summarized by Andrew Knowles, is not just a cornerstone of Christian theology, but also a pivotal text in shaping the history and beliefs of the Christian Church. Written by Paul, an apostle who had not yet visited Rome, this letter addresses the Christian community there, which was grappling with internal tensions between Jewish and Gentile converts. Knowles underscores the dual purpose of Paul's writing. Firstly, it serves as a theological treatise, where Paul explains the transformation Christianity has brought about, especially for Jewish believers. Secondly, it acts as a bridge to reconcile the differences between Jewish and Gentile Christians in Rome. Central to Paul's message in Romans is the concept of human sinfulness. Knowles emphasizes Paul's view of humanity's sinful nature as an inheritance from Adam, the biblical first man, leading to spiritual death. However, Paul contrasts this bleak human condition with the redemptive act of God's love. In Christian belief, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of humanity. This supreme sacrifice is seen as a pathway for human beings to reconcile with God, overcoming the spiritual death inherited from Adam. Paul's letter, as interpreted by Knowles, articulates a transformative experience. Believers, through Christ's sacrifice, are offered a new life, symbolized by moving from being in Adam to being in Christ. This transition is not merely a theological change, but is expected to manifest in practical ways, through holy behavior and loving relationships among believers. Knowles notes the far-reaching impact of Romans in converting people to Christianity. Its profound theological insights and its role in addressing early church conflicts have made it a crucial text for understanding Christian doctrine and the early church's history. Also, Knowles provides a detailed analysis of the context and content of Paul's letter to the Romans, a pivotal document in Christian history, presumed to have been written around AD 57. Paul, during his three-month stay in Achaia, particularly in Corinth, writes this epistle, a fact inferred from his specific references to individuals like Phoebe, Gaius, and Erastus. Phoebe, from Sancrea, the eastern port of Corinth, is likely entrusted with delivering the letter to Rome, accentuating the significant roles women played in the early church. Gaius, baptized by Paul in Corinth, and Erastus, with a Corinthian inscription to his name, are also mentioned, grounding the letter in real, historical figures. The church in Rome, as Knowles describes, is not a single entity, but a network of house churches, each with its leaders, such as Priscilla, Aquila, Aristobulus, and Narcissus. These small congregations, scattered throughout Rome, include a diverse mix of Jewish and Gentile Christians, reflecting the varied social and religious backgrounds of the early Christian community. Paul's letter is personal, addressing 26 individuals by name. This list encompasses a wide range of people, his converts, colleagues from his imprisonments, friends, relatives, individuals of social standing, and slaves. The inclusion of nine women in this list is particularly noteworthy as it underscores their crucial role and hard work in the nascent church. The backdrop of Paul's letter is the expulsion of Jews from Rome by Emperor Claudius about eight years prior, following riots possibly linked to Christ, referred to as Crestus by Suetonius. This event had led to significant Jewish and Jewish-Christian diaspora, including figures like Aquila and Priscilla. Their eventual return to Rome finds a church now predominantly Gentile. Paul's letter serves multiple purposes. It is an introduction to the Roman Christians he has not yet met, 
a clarification and exposition of his gospel to dispel any rumors of his unorthodoxy, and an explanation of his travel plans. He intends to go to Jerusalem to deliver aid, then visit Rome, and finally head to Spain. However, his subsequent arrest in Jerusalem alters his journey, leading to his arrival in Rome as a prisoner. The question of whether Paul ever reached Spain remains unanswered, adding an element of historical mystery to his story. Moreover, Knowles delves into the nuanced relationship between Jewish and Gentile Christians, a pivotal theme in Paul's writing. Paul, recognized as the apostle to the Gentiles, played a crucial role in integrating non-Jews into the early Christian community. His approach was revolutionary, affirming that Gentiles could become Christians without first converting to Judaism, specifically without undergoing circumcision. This was a significant departure from Jewish tradition and raised profound theological and cultural questions. The crux of the tension lay in how Paul's teachings aligned with Jewish law and customs. Strict Jews questioned the implications of his approach on established practices like sacrifices, dietary laws, and religious festivals. More fundamentally, they were concerned about the status of Jewish Israel in God's plan, given the apparent shift towards a more inclusive Christian church. Paul's response, as interpreted by Knowles, is a masterful blend of affirmation and innovation. He argues that God's covenant with Israel remains intact and unchanged. However, he introduces the concept that this covenant is now accessible to both Jews and Gentiles through faith in Christ. This perspective suggests a continuity in God's plan, but with a transformative inclusivity brought about by the advent of Jesus. Paul's vision, as expounded in Romans, is one of unity and reconciliation. He envisages a community where Jewish and Gentile believers coexist, united not by cultural or ethnic identity, but by their shared faith in Christ. This unity, however, does not imply a homogenization of diverse cultural practices. Instead, it encourages a harmonious coexistence within the diversity of the early Christian church. Through his letter to the Romans, Paul addresses complex issues of identity, tradition, and theology, advocating for a church that transcends cultural and ethnic boundaries. Knowles's interpretation of Romans underscores these themes, asserting the epistle's enduring relevance in discussions of faith, inclusivity, and community. Furthermore, in Knowles' interpretation of the Apostle Paul's discourse with the Jews in the Book of Romans, the central theme revolves around the Jewish belief in their unique covenant with God. Historically, the Jews were chosen by God, delivered from slavery in Egypt and exile in Babylon, and given the divine law as a guide for living. This led to a prevailing Jewish sentiment that righteousness before God could be achieved by strict adherence to His law. However, Paul challenges this perspective. He contends that true righteousness with God does not stem from meticulously following the law, but rather through faith. To illustrate this, Paul references Abraham, a figure predating the law. Abraham, who had no knowledge of the Mosaic law, was deemed righteous by God due to his deep trust in him, not his compliance with religious rites like circumcision. Paul recognizes the law as a noble guide for righteous living, but highlights its fundamental limitation. No one can fully adhere to it. Consequently, the law, intended as a pathway to life, instead indicates universal sinfulness and the inevitability of death. A critical aspect of Paul's argument is his critique of the Jews, particularly the Pharisees, for their scrupulous yet love-devoid observance of the law. This approach, according to Paul, misses the essence of the law 
which is to foster love for God and fellow humans, he expresses concern that the Jews' self-identification as lawkeepers is misleading as they are failing in actual law observance. Their emphasis on rituals like circumcision and dietary restrictions becomes a form of nationalistic pride, leading to exclusion rather than spiritual enlightenment. Paul maintains that with Christ's arrival, the dynamics of God's salvation plan are fully unveiled. It's no longer about adhering to the law in a legalistic manner, but about embracing faith in Jesus Christ for forgiveness and salvation. This pivotal shift opens the door of faith to everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, making faith in Christ the new paradigm for attaining righteousness with God. In addition, the letter to the Romans stands as a cornerstone in Christian theology, profoundly influencing key historical figures across centuries. Its transformative power is vividly illustrated in the lives of Augustine of Hippo, Martin Luther, and John Wesley, each experiencing pivotal spiritual awakenings through their encounters with this text. Augustine, a North African professor of rhetoric in Milan, was living a life torn between indulgence and the allure of Christianity. In AD 386, a chance reading of Romans led to an epiphany. Confronted by the verse urging moral decency and the embracement of Christ over sinful desires, Augustine experienced a profound spiritual transformation. This moment of clarity, where the darkness of doubt vanished, marked Augustine's full-hearted conversion to Christianity, a turning point not only in his life, but in the philosophical underpinnings of Christian thought. Centuries later, Martin Luther, a German monk and professor, encountered Romans while teaching at the University of Wittenberg. Luther's study of the text culminated in a groundbreaking realization about the nature of righteousness. It is not earned by human efforts, but is a gift granted through faith. This insight gave birth to the doctrine of justification by faith and ignited the Protestant Reformation, a monumental shift in the Christian landscape. In the 18th century, John Wesley, an English clergyman, attended a service in London where Luther's commentary on Romans was read. This experience, where his heart was strangely warmed, led to a renewed and profound faith in Christ. Wesley's transformation contributed to the Christian revival movement in England, symbolizing the enduring and diverse impact of Romans. These instances underscore the exceptional influence of Paul's letter to the Romans, which not only shaped individual lives, but also steered significant theological and historical shifts within Christianity. Further, Knowles provides an insightful analysis of the epistle to the Romans, penned by the Apostle Paul, underscoring its status not only as a pivotal piece within Paul's corpus, but also as a masterpiece in Christian literature. The epistle is celebrated for its systematic exposition of Paul's theological insights, encapsulating the essence of his spiritual and doctrinal perspectives at the zenith of his apostolic career. At the heart of Romans is the universal reality of sin. Paul emphatically states that all, irrespective of their Jewish or Gentile backgrounds, have sinned, and consequently fall short of the divine glory, Romans 3.23. This declaration sets the stage for a profound exploration of righteousness, a central theme of the letter. Paul shifts the paradigm of righteousness from legalistic adherence to the law to a faith-based righteousness achievable through belief in Jesus Christ, Romans 3.21.22. This tenet is crucial in dissolving the ethnic divide between Jews and Gentiles, uniting them under the umbrella of God's grace. Besides, Knowles points out the enduring significance of the Jewish faith in Christian theology. 
Contrary to some interpretations, Paul affirms that the Jewish people remain integral to God's salvific plan, challenging the notion of their abandonment by God. Romans 9, 1, 11, 36. The figure of Abraham is pivotal in Paul's discourse on faith. He is portrayed as the epitome of faith, establishing a spiritual lineage for those who emulate his unwavering trust in God's promises. Romans 4, 17, 20, 21. Another vital aspect discussed is the Christian's obligation to foster mutual acceptance within the community, echoing Christ's acceptance of believers, transcending racial and spiritual hierarchies. Romans 15, 7. Paul also acknowledges the role of secular authorities, recognizing their divine ordination while upholding the supremacy of God's kingdom. Romans 13, 1. Additionally, the epistle dives into the inner turmoil faced by believers, caught in the tension between the aspiration to do good and their limitations. However, Paul offers solace in the role of the Holy Spirit, who aids in overcoming these weaknesses. Romans 7:18, 8:26. Lastly, Knowles touches upon the theme of divine election, where God's choice extends beyond individuals to entire nations, reiterating that such election is based on mercy rather than human endeavor. Romans 9.25.16 Overall, Knowles' analysis of Romans presents it as a fundamental text in Christian theology, encompassing a wide range of themes that are essential for understanding the core of Christian beliefs and Paul's theological legacy. Also, in his epistle to the Christians in Rome, the Apostle Paul begins with a greeting that sets the stage for his profound theological discourse. He identifies himself as a servant of Christ Jesus, repeating his divine calling to be an apostle with the sole mission to proclaim the gospel, notably to the non-Jewish or Gentile populations. Paul's anticipation of his journey reflects the strategic importance he places on Rome, which represents the epicenter of the Gentile world and hence a pivotal location for the spread of Christianity. Within the opening chapter of Romans 1, 1 Paul articulates a doctrinal foundation that was revolutionary for the time. He boldly claims that righteousness from God, a righteousness he debates is accessible through faith alone, is the basis of the gospel message. This assertion, encapsulated in Romans 1.17, stands in stark contrast to Jewish thought, which traditionally maintained that righteousness was the reward for obedience to the Mosaic law. Paul refines the concept of righteousness, distancing it from legalistic or perfectionist interpretations. For him, righteousness is not about a faultless existence, but rather about being rightly aligned with God. This redefinition is not a dismissal of Jewish heritage or the significance of the law, but an opening of the pathway to God to all who have faith, Jew and Gentile alike. Acknowledgement of the Jews' foundational belief in the one true God is significant, as Paul affirms their historical and spiritual contributions. However, with the advent of faith in Christ, he proposes a new paradigm of salvation, one that extends beyond the boundaries of Jewish identity. He vehemently disputes that this salvation is universally accessible and that Gentile believers are not secondary recipients of God's grace. The letter portrays Paul's theological stance where faith is the key that unlocks righteousness, obliterating ethnic and cultural barriers, and offering a unified way for humanity to achieve a right relationship with God. This foundational belief in the universality of the gospel reshaped Christian understanding and positioned faith as the primary means by which individuals, regardless of their background, could realize redemption and spiritual communion with God.
Moreover, Knowles discusses the theological concept of divine anger in response to human sinfulness, explicating the ways in which humanity has deviated from God's intended path. In Knowles's exposition, God's presence and power are made manifest through the magnificence of creation. But despite this visible testament, humans have chosen to reject the evident truths about the Almighty. The gravitation away from God has been particularly pronounced among the Gentile populations, who, as Knowles suggests, have sought to replace the worship of God with that of idolatry, creating and venerating images that represent the created rather than the Creator. Distancing themselves from a sacred engagement with God, both men and women have, according to Knowles, pursued satisfaction through impure and distorted sexual relationships, diverging from the dignified connection that God intended for them. Knowles underscores that even with their built-in moral compass, people often rally together in mutual encouragement to relinquish moral restraint and partake in various forms of sinful conduct. Consequently, humanity's image has been tarnished. They should represent the likeness of God, but instead come to embody the epitome of moral corruption, now viewed as the most defiled among all creatures. Knowles remarks that this rampant immorality and spiritual estrangement have rightfully incurred God's wrath. Nevertheless, a key aspect of Knowles's account is God's allowance for human freedom. Despite humanity's continued moral degradation, God's respect for human free will is unwavering. He permits his creation to venture towards sin, even though it attracts his ire. Knowles presents a portrait of God who, in his displeasure, withholds immediate judgment, tolerating human waywardness and defiance. This attribute of divine patience illuminates a facet of God's nature that grapples with human autonomy, underlining his enduring hope for redemption and renewal within the errant human spirit. By acknowledging human agency, God's measured response to sin imparts a sobering reminder of the gravity of moral choice and the persistent opportunity for creatures to realign with the divine despite their predisposition to transgress. Furthermore, in 2, 1, 29, Knowles addresses the dichotomy between the Jewish self-perception of righteousness and the reality of their disobedience to God's laws as presented in the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Romans. The Jews have the advantage of knowing God's expectations through the law, which distinguishes them from the Gentiles who engage in idolatry and immorality. However, this knowledge alone is insufficient, as mere acknowledgement or hearing of the law does not equate to living by it. Knowles argues that the Jews, though entrusted with the oracles of God, have been resistant and stubborn in their relationship with Him. Despite their possession of the law and their quickness to judge the behavior of the Gentiles, they too fall short and are guilty of similar transgressions, which reveals a hypocritical stance. The law has become a source of pride rather than a guide for living, and they wrongly depend on the physical sign of circumcision as a badge of their covenant with God. Underscoring Paul's teaching, Knowles contends that true circumcision is not the outward ritual, but an inward transformation. A circumcision of the heart that signifies total submission and obedience to God's will. This inner change is what God esteems, and it stands in stark contrast to mere external compliance or religious formalities. The sobering message that Paul conveys and that Knowles reiterates is that no one is immune from God's judgment. It will be applied impartially, evaluating the Jews based on their adherence to the law and the Gentiles based on the light of their conscience. The Jewish people's primacy in receiving God's law places them first in line for scrutiny. Through this passage, 
Paul seeks to dismantle any misplaced confidence in heritage or ritual as a means of attaining righteousness before God. Only through genuine repentance and the cultivation of a heart attitude that aligns with God's commands can they, or anyone, aspire to meet the divine standards and escape condemnation. The true essence of faith, therefore, transcends physical acts and is measured by the sincere devotion of one's heart towards God's precepts. In addition, Knowles offers a profound examination of how Paul seeks to realign the perspective of the Jewish community concerning their relationship with God. By dismantling the foundations of Jewish self-confidence, Paul compels them to recognize their spiritual privileges and the critical role they play within God's universal plan of salvation. This reflective shift is intended to dilute any sense of ethnocentric pride and to promote a deeper understanding of God's faithfulness to His promises. Paul specifically calls attention to the Jews' privileged access to the Word of God, which provides them not just with divine wisdom, but also a direct communicative link with God Himself. This esteemed access is a distinguishing feature of their covenantal relationship with God and signifies a trust placed in them to cherish, uphold, and live according to these holy scriptures. Yet Paul's message also underscores that this privilege carries with it a broader, more encompassing duty. The Jews are to see themselves as integral to God's salvation plan that is intended for all people. In this larger context, their role is not merely to benefit from God's promises, but to serve as a light to the nations, helping to bring about the redemption that is offered to the world at large. Further, Knowles stresses that Jewish transgressions, rather than merely representing moral or spiritual failure, serve a dual function within God's redemptive arc. These instances of failure serve to exemplify God's unyielding justice as well as His boundless mercy. Through the Jews' shortcomings, the contrast between human frailty and divine perfection becomes starkly evident, accentuating God's enduring commitment to righteousness balanced by His readiness to forgive. Ultimately, the essence of Knowles's interpretation of Paul's words is that the Jews are to contemplate the depth and reliability of God's faithfulness. Rather than relying on their legacy or achievements, they are encouraged to appreciate and engage in their designated place in God's grand narrative, to recognize the honor of being custodians and disseminators of God's word, and to understand how even their failings play a part in the divine exhibition of justice and mercy. Through this lens, Paul's teachings aim to foster a more profound appreciation for the steadfast and inclusive nature of God's love and plan for humanity. Besides, in his commentary on Romans 3, 9-20, Knowles analyzes the Apostle Paul's conclusion that both Jewish and Gentile populations are mired in sin and unrighteousness before God, with neither group having moral superiority over the other. Knowles explains that Paul strategically employs quotes from the Hebrew Scriptures as a means to underscore his point, that the ubiquity of sin is a universal human condition. Paul's message, as elaborated by Knowles, is a stark one. Every individual has fallen short of the divine glory and moral perfection that God demands. The Jewish law, which was given to the people of Israel, serves not as a badge of honor that sets them apart for their piety, but rather as a mirror reflecting back their manifold shortcomings. The law's rigorous standards illuminate the multitude of ways in which both Jews and Gentiles fail to uphold God's statutes. Additionally, Knowles emphasizes that Paul sees a danger specifically for the Jewish people in assuming that possession of the law or their unique covenantal relationship with God somehow renders them righteous. 
Such an assumption is false and leads to an inflated sense of self-worth, misplaced confidence, and ultimately, a greater disappointment. The law, which was supposed to be a means to knowing and pleasing God, ends up becoming a testament to human inadequacy. The theological implications of this situation are profound and form the core of Paul's argument, which Knowles outlines. If the law cannot make one righteous and all are equally culpable, this raises a significant problem. How then can anyone achieve righteousness? Knowles suggests that Paul is setting the stage for the central Christian doctrine of justification by faith, a concept he will articulate later in the epistle. This doctrine proposes that righteousness before God cannot be attained through human efforts or adherence to the law, but is instead granted through faith in Jesus Christ, who provides a divine solution to the human problem of sin and unrighteousness. Knowles' assessment of Paul's argument accentuates the Apostle's role in transitioning from the condemnation of universal sin to the need for a Savior central to Christian belief. Also, Knowles provides an insightful exposition of the Gospel according to the Apostle Paul's teachings, particularly focusing on the revolutionary concept of being made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ as opposed to strict adherence to Jewish law. Paul debates that righteousness from God is accessible to all, Jew and Gentile alike, affirming that the Old Testament, unbeknownst to many, foreshadowed this very idea. In the crux of Paul's message, the central means of eradicating human sin is identified as Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice. This sacrifice, he explains, is not like the repetitive temple offerings, where animals and birds were slaughtered as substitutes to atone for human transgression. Instead, Jesus, as the Son of God, surrendered His perfect, blameless life as a one-time, all-encompassing sacrifice for the sins of the entire world across all time. His righteousness is then imputed to humanity, meaning that through faith in Jesus, individuals are justified, interpreted as having their sins absolved and their slate wiped clean, as if they had never sinned. Moreover, Paul articulates that this justification achieves atonement, reconciling the holy and just God with sinful humanity, thereby establishing peace. This is essential because humans, afflicted by an intrinsic sinful nature from birth, are spiritually dead and estranged from God. God's righteousness prompts indignation towards sin, but His abiding love for humanity compels a resolution that satisfies both His justice and love, the mission and sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. Knowles expounds that Jesus, embodying God in human flesh, conquered sin and death, offering humans not just forgiveness, but also deliverance from Satan's influence. Although the battle with inherent sinfulness persists, believers are transformed into God's children and participate in a new creation. This transformative gift, provided freely by the grace of God, liberates believers from all manifestations of evil and ushers them into a life devoid of fear, sin, and death a life aligned with God's eternal plan. Furthermore, Knowles articulates a crucial theological principle that sits at the heart of Christian doctrine, the nature of salvation. In his explanation, he confronts the common misconception that observance of religious laws and the performance of good works can secure a person's redemption. This idea was particularly contentious in the context of early Christianity, where Jewish believers might have felt that their adherence to the law gave them a boastful edge in matters of righteousness and salvation. Knowles unequivocally states that such boasting is entirely misplaced. Jews, he disputes, cannot claim any advantage in salvation due to their law-keeping.
The path to salvation does not come through human efforts or achievements in following the law, but rather through faith in Jesus Christ. This is a profound equalizer. Both Jews and Gentiles stand on the same ground when it comes to salvation. None can earn it, and all can only receive it through faith. Salvation by faith is a cornerstone of Christian belief, and it signifies a departure from the idea that righteousness can be attained through observance of laws alone. Knowles asserts that salvation is a gift from God that comes by trusting in Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection. Yet, Knowles also recognizes the value of the law, describing it as immensely valuable, but with a crucial caveat. Its worth is in guiding behavior, not in conferring salvation. The law, in this interpretation, operates as a moral and ethical framework that instructs and informs believers on how to live lives pleasing to God. It can convict individuals of their need for salvation, but cannot save by itself. In summarizing Knowles's points, the message is that while the law remains a significant and revered part of religious practice, defining right from wrong and shaping moral conduct, it is faith in Jesus that is essential for salvation. This perspective seeks to humble the faithful, removing any grounds for religious or moral boasting and shifting the focus towards a collective faith in Christ that unites all believers. It underscores a theology of grace rather than merit and points to a universally accessible salvation that bridges cultural and historical divides. In addition, Paul in his teachings uses the patriarch Abraham as a fundamental illustration of the principle of justification by faith well before the introduction of the Mosaic Law. He argues that it has always been faith rather than observance of law or ritual that renders a person righteous in the eyes of God. Abraham, revered as the progenitor of the Jewish people, is also esteemed for his role as a beacon of faith. His trust in God's promises is legendary. He believed he would inherit a land even though he lacked the means to secure it by force or conventional claim. He had faith that he would become the father of a nation when all natural possibilities seemed to point to its improbability, given his and his wife Sarah's advanced ages and childlessness. Perhaps the most profound testament to Abraham's faith is the episode where he prepared to sacrifice his son Isaac, being willing to relinquish his long-awaited heir as an act of obedience to God's command. This was an ultimate demonstration of faith, showing that Abraham trusted God's goodness and provision even when it contradicted his circumstances and understanding. Paul highlights that it was Abraham's faith that God accounted as righteousness, Genesis 15, 6. This righteousness was not the product of law adherence, for the law had not yet been prescribed, nor could it have been due to circumcision or the sacrifice of Isaac, as both of these acts were yet to be performed. It also wasn't because Abraham's choices were flawless. His life, like those of others, was marked by mistakes which the scriptures do not conceal. Yet, his trust in God was unwavering and deemed sufficient for righteousness. Drawing a parallel to Christian faith, Paul contends that believers must possess a faith akin to Abraham's, relying not on their own merit or ability, but on God's promise fulfilled in Christ. It is this faith that justifies and places believers as spiritual successors of Abraham. The implication is profound. True descendants of Abraham are not determined by ethnic ties or legalistic observance, but by a shared faith that looks beyond human capability to God's faithfulness. This teaching upends any exclusive claim to Abraham's legacy, based solely on Jewish ethnicity or adherence to the law, opening the way for all who believe to be included in the family of God. 
Further, in his reflection on the Christian experience of reconciliation with God, Knowles digs into the profound spiritual transition that believers undergo through Jesus Christ. He elaborates on the foundational Christian belief that it is solely through Jesus that individuals are able to establish a peaceful relationship with God, overcome the estrangement caused by sin, and receive the Holy Spirit. The assurance of a future filled with glory is a source of great joy for believers, despite the present reality that they may encounter suffering due to their faith. Knowles indicates that suffering is not a cause for despair, but rather an opportunity to deepen one's hope and anticipation of the glory to come. This perspective is rooted in the recognition that adversity fortifies faith, making the eventual fulfillment of God's promises even more exhilarating. The hardships encountered for the sake of faith are portrayed as a journey that ultimately enhances the believer's hope in what God has in store. The most striking theme in Noel's message is the notion of God's infinite love and grace, dramatically showcased in the sacrifice of His Son, an event that Knowles sees as entirely unanticipated and unmerited by humanity. The fact that Jesus died for humanity while it was still entrenched in sin illustrates the vastness of God's compassion and desire to rescue people from a dire predicament. Knowles reflects on the act of salvation not as a transaction that human beings could initiate, but as an unsolicited, generous gift from God. This gift transformed the nature of the relationship between God and humanity. Humans, once considered enemies of God due to sin, are now brought into a relationship of friendship and intimacy with Him. The transition from enmity to friendship is presented as an awe-inspiring change that reveals the remarkable depths of God's welcoming heart. In sum, Knowles' discourse on peace with God through Jesus Christ is a celebration of the radical love God has for humanity. It's a meditation on the sublime reality that true peace and a loving relationship with the Creator are possible thanks to the unearned favor bestowed upon humanity through the redemptive act of Jesus' crucifixion. This new relationship redefines the believer's existence and promises a future filled with hope, joy, and divine companionship. Besides, Paul examines a profound theological comparison between the repercussions of the transgressions of Adam and the redemptive act of Jesus Christ, meticulously examining their profound influence on human destiny. He paints a picture of Adam as the progenitor of the human race whose disobedience to God's command in the Garden of Eden unfurls a ripple of sin and death that would permeate all of humanity. This concept of original sin suggests that the consequence of Adam's fall from grace was not limited to him alone, but extended to his progeny, effectively sentencing all human beings to a life overshadowed by mortality and a propensity to sin, even prior to the establishment of the law, which later clarified the nature of sin. Against this backdrop of inevitable death introduced by Adam, Paul presents Jesus Christ as the antithetical force of salvation and life. In stark contrast to Adam, Jesus is described as the paragon of obedience and righteousness. Through his unblemished sacrifice on the cross, Jesus bestows upon humanity the opportunity for redemption and eternal life, counteracting the grim legacy inherited from Adam. It is a story of two seminal acts— one leading to bondage and the other to freedom, one to death and the other to life. This theme of redemption is central to Paul's message. He articulates that while sin and death were universally disseminated through Adam's transgression, the grace offered by Jesus Christ is exponentially more powerful and wide-reaching. Life through Christ is not merely a reversal of death, but an overwhelming victory over it.
symbolizing the superabundance of divine grace that overflows to all aspects of human existence. By maintaining that the life-giving grace through Christ is accessible to the entire human race, Paul heralds a new epic where grace reigns supreme. Christ's act of redemption is thus seen as the catalyst for the restoration of humanity from the state of fallenness to one of divine favor and eternal life. Ultimately, Paul's narrative underscores the transformative potential of Christ's love and sacrifice, offering a beacon of hope and a testament to the unyielding power of redemptive grace over the ancestral sin of Adam. Additionally, Knowles addresses the complex relationship between Christian identity and sin, guided by the teachings of Paul. When one becomes a Christian, there is a symbolic and spiritual transition marked by baptism, which represents dying to sin and rising to new life in Christ. Paul's doctrine suggests that Christians should no longer live in habitual sin because they are closely united with Jesus, which alters their very nature and purpose. Despite this transformation, Christians still possess free will and thus retain the capacity to choose sin. However, Knowles points out that Paul debates for a life lived in congruence with one's Christian identity, which naturally opposes sinful behavior. According to Paul, a Christian engaging in sin is acting against the essence of their new being, much like expecting a dead body to engage in living activities. It's incongruent with their state. Knowles clarifies that Paul's perspective doesn't paint a picture of Christians as sinless automatons, but rather as individuals engaged in a continual battle against their inherent sinful tendencies. This is not a passive existence. It requires active and deliberate effort to embody the holiness God calls them to. The life of a Christian is a journey of transformation, where making righteous choices is a manifestation of the freedom that Christ has won for them rather than succumbing to sin's tyrannical domain. Paul juxtaposes two masters, sin and God. The former offers death as its wages, while serving the latter leads to the true freedom of eternal life. Paul encourages Christians to embrace their liberation from sin and to live accordingly. Knowles underscores that this isn't merely a theological concept, but a practical endeavor, with Paul providing guidance and encouragement to persevere in the lifelong struggle against the old nature. In summary, Knowles conveys that Christian life is characterized by the ongoing tension between a past affinity for sin and a present and future commitment to live for Christ. This calls for a vigilant and proactive stance, where Christians continually choose righteousness over sin, reflective of the life and teachings of Jesus, with the aim of achieving the divine freedom and holiness offered by God. Also, in his exploration of Romans 7, 1, Knowles examines the complicated relationship between Christians and the Mosaic Law through the teachings of the Apostle Paul. The central question he presents is whether believers, having died to sin and become alive to grace, are still obligated to adhere to the law. Knowles uses Paul's metaphor involving a married woman whose marital obligations are annulled upon her husband's death, leaving her free to remarry. This analogy signifies the Christian's release from the bondage of sin through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Just as the widow's legal ties to her deceased spouse are severed, so too are the believer's ties to sin, allowing for a fresh and direct relationship with God, one that is guided by the Spirit rather than the stringent requirements of the law. Paul firmly acknowledges that the law is good and serves a divine purpose. It reveals to humanity what is sinful. It acts as a moral compass providing clarity on right and wrong. However, 
Paul also recognizes a paradoxical effect of the law. It often invites the very temptation it condemns. The issue, Knowles reiterates, is not with the law itself, but with human nature's propensity to rebel. Moreover, Knowles reflects on the severe inner conflict Paul describes, a dilemma he personally faced as a devout Jew and Pharisee. While he revered the law and delighted in its sacred obligations, Paul was persistently plagued by sin, which ambushed his resolve to live righteously. Christ's intervention, then, is depicted as a monumental rescue operation. Through grace and the establishment of a new covenant, believers are not only forgiven, but are also empowered to overcome the cycle of sin that once dominated their lives. Knowles repeats Paul's joyous realization of this deliverance, a transformative shift from the exasperation of constantly falling short of the law's demands to experiencing the liberating victory offered through faith in Jesus Christ. This new freedom redefines the believer's life not as a rejection of the law's goodness, but as an embrace of the higher law of the Spirit, which fulfills and transcends the written code. Furthermore, believers are guided through the significant changes that come with accepting Christ. This spiritual rebirth is outlined by several pivotal transformations. Liberation from the consequences of sin, an empowering strength through the Holy Spirit, the loving acceptance of God as a Father, and the promise of eternal life. Knowles underlines that Christ's sacrifice on the cross signifies a comprehensive satisfaction of the law's stringent requirements, symbolized by his proclamation, It is finished, John 19.30. Subsequently, Christians are no longer subjected to the punitive aspects of the law or the oppressive burden of guilt. The law's inherent flaw is that, while it embodies righteousness, it paradoxically dooms humankind to death. Liberation from this predicament is found in Jesus' incarnation and self-offering, through which believers receive pardon and emancipation. The Holy Spirit plays a crucial role by dwelling within believers, emancipating them from an endless cycle of moral failure where one knows the right path but repeatedly falters, and imbuing them with the power to conquer their inherent sinfulness. This empowerment encourages believers to realize and embrace their identity as children of God. The Spirit's presence also allows a personal and intimate connection with God, where believers can address Him affectionately as Abba, underscoring their adoption into His family. Despite this spiritual renaissance, Christians are not insulated from the world's tribulations. They inhabit a reality caught between the resurrection of Jesus and the eventual consummation of God's kingdom, experiencing the birth pangs of a new creation emerging from the vestiges of the old. Creation's own groaning, the believer's aching for deliverance, and the Spirit's beseeching prayers collectively articulate a world in transition. God, however, is portrayed as unwavering in His efforts to overturn the effects of original sin and reshape His creation. In sum, Knowles affirms God's steadfast commitment to His redemptive plan, already evident in the sacrifice of Jesus. This love, which endures any hardship, affirms that no force, earthly or celestial, can sever believers from God's affection or impede His transformative work. Christians are reassured that every dimension of existence, including life, death, and all spiritual or temporal powers, is subject to the sovereign authority of Jesus Christ. In addition, in the context of the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Roman believers, a significant concern on the minds of many is the status of Israel in God's redemptive plan 
especially considering the rapid expansion of the Christian gospel among the Gentile, non-Jewish populations. Paul, aware of the sensitive and controversial nature of this topic, particularly for Jewish members of the Roman Church, approaches the subject with a blend of empathy and theological clarity. Paul openly shares his deep yearning for the salvation of his fellow Jews. He acknowledges the unique and privileged role that Israel has played throughout salvation history, a legacy marked by divine revelation, covenant relationships, and prophetic encounters. The Jews, from the patriarch Abraham through the lineage that eventually led to the Messiah Jesus, have been the custodians of God's redemptive narrative. Despite this heritage, the reception of the gospel by many in Israel was not as Paul and other early Christians had hoped. In wrestling with this reality, Paul disputes that God has not abandoned his covenant people in favor of a new relationship with the Gentiles. Rather, his thesis suggests that God's reliability in keeping promises and bringing his intentions to completion should be seen as assurance that he will also bring Israel to a saving faith. Paul's argument is rooted in the idea that God's ultimate design is to form a single, inclusive community of believers. This community transcends ethnic and cultural distinctions. Jews and Gentiles are to be united under the same covenant of faith in Christ. With this vision, Paul implies that God's historical dealings with Israel serve as the foundation upon which a more encompassing divine human community is being built. In essence, the mission to the Gentiles neither negates nor replaces God's commitment to Israel. It enhances and fulfills it by bringing together all peoples into a diverse yet cohesive family of God. Further, Knowles concentrates on the Apostle Paul's teachings about the nature of God's grace and his relationship with the people of Israel. Knowles underscores that Paul challenges the traditional viewpoint of what constitutes Israel, suggesting that it is not merely the ethnic group tracing its lineage to Abraham, but rather the collective of individuals who share Abraham's faith. This faith-based definition transcends genetic ties, focusing instead on spiritual kinship with the patriarch. Knowles expounds on Paul's argument that God's covenant has not been nullified, nor have his people been forsaken. Instead, the understanding of who the true Israelites are needs re-evaluation. The true children of Abraham are characterized by their faith, following in the footsteps of their forebear rather than their genetic descent. This is demonstrated by God's history of sovereign choices that often subvert human expectations, such as preferring Jacob over his brother Esau or hardening the heart of the Egyptian pharaoh to manifest his power and accomplish his divine plans. These examples serve to underscore the theme of God's absolute sovereignty. Knowles underscores Paul's rhetoric by likening the questioning of God's decisions to the futility of clay questioning the intentions of the potter. In this metaphor, Humanity, represented by the clay, lacks the capacity to critique the potter, who symbolizes God's inscrutable decision-making authority. Such questioning not only demonstrates a misunderstanding of one's place in relation to the Creator, but also fails to recognize the profound nature of God's grace. Knowles's presentation of Paul's message reiterates that God's election of individuals is a manifestation of His grace, which does not conform to human merit or logic. It is within God's prerogative to administer His grace to whomever He chooses, and His actions are an expression of His divine will, which can neither be anticipated nor contested by human reasoning. Besides, Knowles illuminates a profound error in the national consciousness of Israel with respect to their spiritual identity and the nature of God's grace. 
Knowles emphasizes that Israel has erroneously anchored its identity in two key areas, race and adherence to the law of Moses. This misguided self-perception has had severe and exclusionary implications. They have developed a bias against others who do not share their heritage or their legalistic approach to righteousness. Consequently, in their pursuit of self-defined purity, they have inadvertently stumbled over the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. He is depicted as a stone that will make people stumble in reference to their failure to recognize him as the embodiment of God's grace and mercy. Paul, fully aware of Israel's spiritual plight, passionately yearns for their salvation. He witnesses their fervent enthusiasm for righteousness, but recognizes a critical flaw. They believe righteousness can be achieved through their own effort. In this belief, they overlook the necessity of divine grace. Christ has, in essence, revolutionized the spiritual journey. No longer is salvation seen as attainable through the strict observance of the law, a path that has proven insufficient, but now it is extended through the gate of grace, wide open to all who believe, both Jews and Gentiles. This divine grace bestows upon all believers equal status and blessings, serving the same Lord and bound by the same faith. Paul's missionary labors are devoted to disseminating this gospel of inclusive grace. However, his message meets with resistance among many Jews who are not yet able to reconcile this radical inclusivity with their understanding of God's covenant promise to Israel. They have yet to fully grasp that God's actions in welcoming the Gentiles are not a departure from His merciful character demonstrated throughout their history, but an expansion of that same mercy across the broad tapestry of humanity. Additionally, in Romans 11, 1.32, as interpreted by Knowles, the Apostle Paul addresses the complex relationship between Israel and the nascent Christian faith. At the core of Paul's message is an unwavering conviction that God's commitment to Israel remains unbroken despite the apparent rejection of Christ by the Jewish people of that era. Knowles accentuates Paul's personal journey from a zealous Pharisee to a devoted follower of Christ as a testament to the transformative power of faith, and as evidence that even those most resistant to the message of Jesus can find salvation. Paul posits that the reluctance of the Jewish people to embrace Christ serves a greater divine purpose. It underscores the magnanimity of God's grace and the faith of the Gentiles, those who were previously considered outsiders in the religious narrative. This rejection paves the way for an extraordinary development the inclusion of Gentiles into God's salvific plan. Knowles affirms Paul's excitement at the prospect of Jews ultimately accepting Christ, believing that such a turn of events would bring forth even greater blessings. In his ministry to the Gentiles, Paul hopes to ignite a sense of spiritual envy among the Jewish people, thereby drawing them towards Christ. This strategy asserts the ongoing significance of Israel in God's plan. The Gentiles, now grafted into the spiritual lineage of Israel, are cautioned against pride. Knowles interprets this as a warning that complacency or arrogance could lead to their exclusion, just as the Jews temporarily find themselves outside the fold due to their disbelief. Knowles underscores Paul's overarching theme of inclusive salvation. He presents the idea that shifts in who is in or out are part of a grander, inclusive, divine strategy. God's ultimate goal, as interpreted by Knowles through Paul's writing, is the salvation of all peoples, transcending ethnic and religious boundaries. This narrative of inclusion and redemption reflects a dynamic yet consistent divine plan aimed at universal salvation.
Also, in his commentary on Romans 11.33-36, Knowles explores the significance of this passage in the broader context of Apostle Paul's epistle to the Romans. This section is particularly notable as it represents the climax of Paul's theological exposition, a moment where he transitions from doctrinal teaching to a profound expression of worship. Paul's hymn of praise in these verses is a reflection on the vast and intricate plan of God, encompassing both Jews and Gentiles. This inclusivity is a central theme in Romans, highlighting the universal scope of God's salvation. It's a pivotal point where Paul indicates that God's redemptive plan is not limited to a specific group, but extends to all humanity, a radical concept in the context of the early Christian community, which grappled with the relationship between Jewish traditions and the emerging Christian faith. Moreover, Knowles underscores the significance of Paul touching upon the themes of creation and new creation. This suggests the transformative power of the gospel, which is not just about individual salvation, but also about cosmic renewal. It's an indication of the gospel's ability to bring about a new order of existence, where the fallen state of the current world is renewed through Christ. At this summit of his message, Paul is overwhelmed by the depth of God's wisdom and knowledge. His theological reflections transform into a spontaneous outpouring of awe and praise. This doxology, as Knowles indicates, is not just a conclusion to a theological argument, but an emotional and spiritual response to the profound mysteries of God's nature and plans. In summary, Andrew Knowles's interpretation of Romans 11.33, 36 presents it as a panoramic view of God's redemptive plan through Christ. It's a celebration of God's unfathomable wisdom and a testament to the depth of Paul's theological insights, beautifully transitioning from deep doctrinal discourse to an expression of worship and adoration for the divine majesty and mystery. Furthermore, Knowles probes into the Apostle Paul's teachings on Christian living. Knowles elucidates Paul's transition from espousing Christian beliefs to outlining practical Christian behavior. This part of Romans is particularly significant for Paul's Jewish readers who are keen to understand how the concepts of sacrifice, community, and the law evolve in the light of Christianity. In Romans 12, 1-2, Paul introduces the idea of living sacrifices, a concept that marks a radical departure from traditional Jewish practices. In Judaism, sacrifices typically involved the offering of animals in the temple as atonement for human sins. These sacrifices, while costly, were performed through an intermediary and lacked a personal dimension. Paul, however, redefines sacrifice in the Christian context. He calls for believers to offer themselves directly to God, signifying a living, personal, and ongoing act of devotion. This self-offering is described as the true form of worship, distinct from the ritualistic animal sacrifices of the past. Paul's message extends beyond the act of sacrifice to encompass the broader lifestyle of a believer. He urges Christians not to be conformed to the patterns and pressures of the worldly system. Instead, he advocates for a transformation that occurs through embracing the mindset of Christ. This transformation is not superficial, but one that renews the mind, leading to discernment and living in accordance with God's will. This shift from external rituals to internal transformation is central to Paul's teachings in Romans. Knowles maintains that Christianity, as presented by Paul, is not just a set of beliefs, but a transformative experience that impacts every aspect of daily life. The emphasis on personal sacrifice and the renewal of the mind points out the practical implications of living the Christian faith.
moving it from theory to a tangible, everyday reality. In addition, Knowles's interpretation of Romans 12, 3, 8 investigates the heart of Christian community life, reiterating the fundamental shift from individualism to communal well-being. In these verses, the Apostle Paul addresses the early Christian community, repeating the importance of humility and the selfless use of personal gifts for the collective good. The passage begins with a caution against pride. Paul urges Christians to assess themselves with sober judgment and not to think of themselves more highly than they should. This serves as a foundational principle for community interactions, steering believers away from egocentric behaviors and towards a more inclusive, supportive approach. Knowles underlines that Paul uses the metaphor of the body to describe the Christian community. Just as a body comprises different parts, each with its unique function, the Christian community is made up of individuals, each possessing distinct gifts. These gifts, which include prophecy, service, teaching, encouragement, generosity, leadership, and mercy, are not badges of personal honor, but tools for serving others. This metaphor beautifully illustrates the interdependence of community members, underscoring that the well-being of one is intricately connected to the well-being of all. Importantly, Knowles notes that these gifts are to be exercised in the spirit of faith and humility. The focus is not on the self, but on how one's abilities can uplift and strengthen the community. Generosity, hard work, and good humor are not just encouraged, but seen as essential components of the Christian life. This approach fosters an environment where each member is valued and where their contributions are seen as vital to the community's spiritual health and growth. Through this passage, Paul lays out a vision of a community where humility, service, and mutual care are paramount. Knowles' interpretation underscores that in such a community, pride is replaced by a shared commitment to nurture and support each other, embodying the core values of the Christian faith. Further, in his interpretation of Romans 12, 921, Knowles provides a nuanced understanding of how Apostle Paul redefines the concept of law in the context of Christian faith, particularly focusing on the theme of love. Paul's teachings in this passage represent a radical departure from traditional Jewish law. Previously, the law was seen as a set of rules and regulations, a mechanical system where adherence was often measured by outward actions. However, Paul introduces a transformative idea. The law is now to be understood as a guide to loving relationships, rooted in genuine, heartfelt emotion rather than mere duty. This new perspective is characterized by its emphasis on sincere and joyful love. Paul encourages believers to express love in a way that is genuine, breaking away from the cold, calculated obedience to the law. This love extends even to enemies, challenging the believers to adopt an ethos of radical kindness and forgiveness. Significantly, Paul shifts the focus away from the human-centered notion of justice, which often involves penalty clauses and guidelines for revenge. Instead, he places God at the center of judgment and retribution. It's an acknowledgement that ultimate justice belongs to God, who understands the full context of every action and intention. Human beings, with their limited understanding, are called to refrain from taking revenge. Paul's instruction to bless one's enemies is particularly striking. This act of blessing is not just a passive avoidance of revenge, but an active pursuit of peace and goodwill, even towards those who might wish us harm. It's an invitation to a higher moral ground, 
where the response to wrongdoing is not anger or retribution, but a compassionate and transformative love. This approach is meant to induce a sense of moral realization in the enemy, not through force or punishment, but through the power of unexpected kindness and generosity. In essence, Paul is advocating for a community bound not by the rigid adherence to rules, but by a dynamic living expression of love and forgiveness which reflects the heart of Christian teaching. Besides, Knowles's interpretation of Romans 13, 1-7 delves into the complex relationship between Christian faith and secular governance. In this passage, Apostle Paul instructs the Roman Christians on the importance of being good citizens, accentuating the necessity of respecting and obeying civil authorities. Knowles explains that this respect is rooted in the belief that these authorities are ordained by God to maintain order and justice, punishing evil and promoting good. Knowles affirms the historical context of Jews living in diaspora who, despite often facing persecution and displacement, have consistently shown respect for the civil authorities of the lands they inhabit. This historical precedent serves as a model for Christians, urging them to uphold similar attitudes towards governmental institutions. However, Knowles also recognizes the potential for conflict between Christian principles and governmental actions. He acknowledges that there are situations where a dictator or regime may act in ways that are fundamentally opposed to what is considered God's will. In such extreme scenarios, Christians are faced with a moral dilemma and might need to stand against such authorities. Yet in the context of Paul's letter, as interpreted by Knowles, the focus is not on these extreme cases, but rather on the everyday responsibilities of Christians as citizens. This includes the duties of paying taxes and showing general respect and obedience to the governing bodies. Knowles interprets Paul's message as a call for Christians to engage in their civic duties with a sense of moral responsibility and integrity, recognizing the role of government in God's plan for societal order, but also being aware of the potential conflicts between earthly authority and divine commandments. In summary, Knowles's interpretation of Romans 13, 1-7 presents a nuanced view of Christian citizenship, balancing the need for respect and obedience to secular authorities with the acknowledgement of potential moral conflicts in extreme circumstances. Additionally, Knowles offers a detailed interpretation of Romans 13, 8, 10, a passage from the New Testament. This section, authored by Paul the Apostle, presents a profound perspective on the Christian understanding of law and love. Knowles explains that Paul distills the essence of the law, as given in the Old Testament, into a single, encompassing commandment, to love one's neighbor as oneself. Knowles asserts that, According to Paul, the specific commandments against adultery, murder, theft, and covetousness are not just individual prohibitions, rather, they are expressions of the fundamental principle of love. This interpretation highlights that all these laws are inherently aimed at protecting and respecting our neighbors, thereby promoting love. He contends that when individuals live by this principle of love, they are inherently fulfilling the entire law. This perspective challenges a purely literal or legalistic approach to the commandments. Instead of viewing these laws as a checklist of actions to avoid, Knowles suggests that Paul invites believers to see them as guiding principles for loving interaction with others. The essence of the law in this view is not in the letter, but in the spirit, the spirit of love. Also, Knowles's interpretation extends to understanding love as the foundation of Christian ethics.
In this framework, ethical behavior is not just about following rules, but about embodying the spirit of love in all interactions. This approach transforms the way one views and practices morality, shifting the focus from mere compliance to active expression of love. In summary, Knowles's interpretation of Romans 13, 8-10 presents love as the central, unifying theme of Christian morality, encapsulating and fulfilling all God's commandments. Moreover, in Romans 13, 11, 14, the Apostle Paul delivers a compelling and urgent message to his audience. This passage is rich in its implications, both theological and practical, for the lives of believers. Paul begins by indicating the criticality of time, stating that it is now the moment to wake up from sleep. This metaphor of sleep represents a state of spiritual lethargy and complacency common among those who have lost sight of the imminent return of Christ. The Apostle urges believers to recognize that salvation is nearer than when they first believed. This assertion maintains the progression of time since their conversion and the ever-closing gap between the present and the second coming of Christ. Paul then shifts his focus to the concept of darkness, which symbolizes the sinful and morally corrupt ways of the world. He contrasts this with the light, a representation of the purity, truth, and righteousness found in Jesus Christ. This dichotomy between darkness and light is a central theme in Paul's teachings and is used to illustrate the stark difference between a life lived in sin and one lived in accordance with Christian principles. The passage calls for a rejection of the deeds of darkness, listing behaviors such as revelry, drunkenness, sexual immorality, strife, and jealousy. These actions are indicative of a life lived without regard for God's commandments and are in direct opposition to the conduct expected of believers. Instead, Paul urges his audience to put on the armor of light, a metaphorical expression for adopting a lifestyle that reflects the character and teachings of Christ. This armor protects against the temptations and moral pitfalls of the world. Furthermore, Paul concludes with a powerful exhortation to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, urging believers to embody the qualities of Christ in their everyday lives. This means living in a way that is reflective of Christ's love, compassion, and righteousness. The passage is a call to ethical and moral vigilance, reminding believers that the way they live their lives is a testament to their faith and a preparation for the return of Christ. In essence, Romans 13.11, 14 serves as a wake-up call to live a life that is conscious of and prepared for the final coming of Jesus. In addition, Knowles provides an insightful interpretation of Romans 14, 1, 15, 13 focusing on the dynamics within the early Christian community in Rome. This community was notably diverse, comprising both Jewish and Gentile Christians. These groups, coming from distinct cultural and religious backgrounds, were for the first time sharing meals and living spaces, leading to unprecedented interactions and challenges. Knowles points out the Apostle Paul's understanding and response to these challenges. He observes that Jewish Christians, adhering to their traditional food laws and observance of holy days, are described by Paul as having weak faith. This weakness is not due to their observance per se, but because they seemingly fail to recognize that Jesus' sacrifice has fully accomplished their salvation, leading them to believe that adherence to these practices is still necessary. Conversely, Gentile Christians are seen as having strong faith. They feel liberated from such dietary restrictions and view all days as equally holy. However, Paul cautions them against pride and arrogance, underscoring the need for humility and understanding. 
A central theme in Knowles's interpretation is Paul's call for mutual respect and acceptance among Christians of different backgrounds. Paul, who had once been a strict Pharisee, now enjoys freedom from Jewish dietary laws. Yet he chooses to exercise this freedom cautiously, mindful of not offending or causing distress to others. This personal conduct exemplifies the broader principle Paul advocates, prioritizing communal harmony over individual liberty. Paul points to Jesus as the ultimate model of this principle. Jesus, possessing the utmost freedom, consistently chose to serve others' needs over his own desires. This selflessness is presented as the ideal for fostering unity within the Christian community and glorifying God. Knowles reiterates how this inclusive and respectful approach among early Christians reflects the fulfillment of Jewish scriptures, with Gentiles being welcomed into the faith community. In sum, Knowles interprets Romans 14, 1 13 as Paul's guidance on navigating cultural and religious differences within the early church, advocating for a Christ-like attitude of selfless love, respect, and understanding to maintain unity and honor God. Last but not least, the Apostle Paul addresses the Christian believers in Rome, repeating their virtue and capacity to educate each other, rooted in their status as justified in God's eyes, Romans 15, 14-16, Paul reflects on his evangelistic vocation with a priestly perspective, tasked with spreading the gospel's message. His goal is to lead the Gentiles to live as holy and vibrant offerings to God, a continuation of the spiritual function originally associated with the temple in Jerusalem. Paul's evangelistic endeavors serve the purpose of broadcasting the majesty and benevolence of God to a worldwide audience. Besides, Paul provides a personal update, sharing his future plans and expressing farewells to a significant number of cherished companions. He introduces Phoebe of Sencrea, a key figure within her church community and presumably holding a position akin to a deacon. He entrusts her to the Roman Christian's hospitality, acknowledging her important role. Amongst his acquaintances is the pair Priscilla and Aquila, whom Paul met during their shared exile from Rome due to Emperor Claudius's expulsion of Jews and joined forces in both their trade of tent-making and their missionary work, as noted in Acts 18.18. After a period in Ephesus, they have resettled in Rome and continue to host a Christian assembly in their home. Paul's narrative spotlights a diverse array of 24 friends, with six being women. Notably, the names of several of these friends suggest that they might be part of the emperor's household, which implies they could be servants or slaves. Andronicus and Junius, whose gender is disputed, are acknowledged as long-standing followers of Christ, even referred to as pioneers of the gospel, predating Paul's own conversion. Rufus, also mentioned, is potentially identifiable as the offspring of Simon of Cyrene, the man compelled to carry Jesus' cross, as depicted in Mark 15.21. The list of Paul's friends and the heartfelt exuberance in his greetings offer a unique insight into the Apostle's life. They reveal a community marked by joyous fellowship and shared suffering, a community that embodies love and industriousness yet remains exposed to potential discord and deception. In conclusion of his message, Paul praises God, confident that divine strength will empower the Roman believers to be instrumental in God's redemptive mission across the world. In conclusion, Knowles provides a comprehensive interpretation of the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Romans, an essential text in Christian theology. The letter is addressed to a Christian community in Rome, comprised of Jewish and Gentile believers. 
Paul's primary intention is fostering unity among this diverse group, while providing theological depth on critical topics such as sin, salvation, and the nature of faith. Additionally, Paul underlines that all humanity shares a common heritage of sin originating from the biblical Adam, leading to a need for divine grace. This grace, according to Paul, is accessed not through the Jewish law's legalistic adherence, but through faith in Jesus Christ's redemptive sacrifice. Paul's message radically includes Gentiles directly into the faith without requiring them to become Jewish, a revolutionary stance for the time. Also, the letter profoundly influences Christian history and personal spiritual journeys as seen in the experiences of Augustine, Luther, and Wesley, who were profoundly impacted by Paul's teachings. Their transformative encounters showcase Romans' capacity to shape theological thought and inspire church reform movements. Moreover, practical aspects of the Christian life are also significant in Romans. Paul instructs believers to embody love, reject sinful behaviors, and maintain a harmonious relationship within their communities. He regards the law as a guide to ethical living that is fulfilled through loving others, a redefined understanding that transcends mere rule adherence. Furthermore, Knowles underscores that Paul concludes his epistle with a strong message of inclusion. The Gentiles' acceptance into faith neither nullifies God's covenant with Israel, nor does it diminish his fidelity. Instead, Paul envisions a combined community of believers, celebrating both diversity and unity under God's grace. Ultimately, through Knowles' analysis, the Epistle to the Romans is portrayed as a foundational Christian text, influencing the doctrines of grace and faith, while advocating for a life of ethical love and cultural inclusiveness within the global plan of divine salvation.